One of the great things about Mother's Day is it gives you the opportunity to stop and think about all the things you're thankful to your mother for. Now, whether that's a biological mother or adoptive mother or spiritual mother, those women who've had a huge impact on your life. And while every day is supposed to be a day in which we express gratitude, the nice thing about Mother's Day is it sort of forces us to stop and think all the different ways that we've been blessed by those women in our lives who have acted as mothers towards us. Now, when you think about doing that, we're glad because mothers are often people that we can sort of take for granted. It's easy to think, well, this is what they're supposed to do. This is their job. And when you stop and you think about all the different ways uh, in which we've been blessed by mothers, it can be incredibly encouraging. Well, I'd like to do something similar to that this morning. Many of you may have a tradition where on Mother's Day, you sit around the family table and everybody takes a moment to share what they're thankful for. Well, I'd like to do something like that, but not with earthly mothers, but instead with God. Now, I do hope that with your earthly mothers, you take the opportunity to think through all that you're grateful for. But we've gathered together to worship the Lord, and this seems like a great opportunity to just stop for a minute and think through all the ways in which God has blessed us. Now, you may be saying, well, wouldn't this be better for Father's Day? Now, it's true that God is our Father, but it's also true that God is neither male nor female. And that many of the things that we often associate with mothers, things like tender loving care, sacrificial love, compassion, understanding, those things that we often associate with mothers, as Christians, we receive those from God. So it's very fitting that today we stop and think through all the different ways that God has blessed us. And my goal for this morning is for us to walk out of here having been reminded of the many, many ways that God has been good to us and kind to us and that we might be thankful. So if you will, would you take a Bible and turn to Psalm 103? Psalm 103, it's page 428 in the Bibles that the church provides. Psalm 103, like I said at the beginning of the service, through the summer we're going to be continuing our series in First and Second Samuel as well as the Psalms. What we've been looking at this past year is how to have an undivided heart for God. And the great thing about First and Second Samuel is, is they narrate stories of what it looks like to have an undivided heart for God. But the reason why the Psalms are so important is because the Psalms give expression to our thoughts and feelings that come from an undivided heart. And what we want to know today is that one of the central aspects of a heart that is fully devoted to God is that it's a heart that's full of gratitude. And so we are going to begin looking at Psalm 103. Now, one of the amazing things about this Psalm is that that's all it is, just gratitude. There are no requests in this psalm. There are no laments. There are no comments about enemies. 
There's no expressions of fear. There's no instructions. It's simply a psalm that verse after verse is listing all the different ways that God has blessed us. And just like with mothers, while there are things that we might ask of mothers, there are requests we might make of them, on Mother's Day it's nice not to do those things, but instead to stop and simply think of all the ways in which we're thankful for them. So too with God. I'm not saying that you don't have troubles this morning. I'm not saying that there aren't burdens on your heart. I'm not saying that there aren't things that you need to ask God for. But I'm sensing this morning that what's best for us is to put those aside for just a moment and simply go through all the ways that God has blessed us. So we begin in Psalm 103. David says, Praise the Lord, O my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. You know, just like with mothers, it's easy to take them for granted. To think that, well, yeah, it's their job. They're supposed to clean up after me. They're supposed to help. They're supposed to organize life. They're supposed to always be there. They're supposed to have the right answer. And sometimes you can take them for granted because they do their job so well. Well, what's true of mothers is even more true of God. Sometimes we can think, well, that's his job. He's supposed to be God. He's supposed to take care of stuff. He's supposed to look out for things. And because he does his job so well, we can forget just how many ways he has blessed us. And so David says, look, let's stop for a minute and let's just recount the ways that God has blessed us. And so that's what he does. He jumps in verse three with the very first one. Who forgives all your sins. David says, the first thing I'm thankful for about God is that he forgives my sins. Down in verse 12, David's going to repeat the same idea, but give us one of the most beautiful word pictures in the Bible when it comes to forgiveness. Look at verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. And the picture here is a mother with a young baby. And as young babies do, they often dirty their diapers. And the mother takes the baby into the bedroom to change the baby and she cleans the baby all up and then she takes the dirty diaper and she throws it away. She separates that diaper from her baby as far as the east is from the west. In many ways, this is the picture that God is trying to give us of what he does with our sins. Is that as humans, we make a mess of things. What God does is he comes and he cleans us up and he throws the sin away. Could you imagine a mother who didn't do this? Can you imagine a mother who after their child dirties his diaper, she comes in and cleans them all up and wraps up the diaper and then puts it in the corner. Says, well, I'm going to keep it for him. <laughs> and as he grows older, he'll have his toys and his clothes and his pictures and all his dirty diapers. And can you imagine her giving a tour to someone coming through the house and saying, this is my son's room. Look, there are all his diapers. And the visitor's like, what are you doing? And she says, well, well they're his, aren't they? Well, no mother would do that. 
No mother wants that associated with her child. As soon as it's cleaned up, it's removed, it's forgotten, it's separated. There is no more connection between that diaper and that child. It's gone. And that's what David says God does with our sin. He cleans us up and it's gone forever. Not just some of our sins, not the small sins, not the easy messes that are easy to clean up. David says he forgives all our sins. All our transgressions are separated from us as far as the east is from the west. When God cleans us up, it's gone. And all God sees when he holds us is a beautiful baby boy or a beautiful baby girl. Completely clean and lovable and wonderful. And David says, I'm so thankful. Every one of my sins, gone. Separated from me as far as the east is from the west. David continues, second half of verse three. And heals all your diseases. The first phrase has to do with the fact of sin. The second phrase has to do with the consequences of sin. When we talk about diseases, that not only refers to physical diseases, it also refers to emotional suffering, to persecution, to difficulties, to hardships. And what David is saying is is that there are consequences to our sins. Sometimes those consequences are the direct result of our sin. Sometimes those wounds that we experience are the direct result of others sinning against us. And sometimes the diseases that we experience, the troubles in life, are simply the consequence of sin in general in the world, that we live in a fallen world. Whatever the reason, David realizes that the troubles we have in life are a result of the fact that there is sin in this world. But David says, I'm thanking God. He heals all our diseases. When I'm on my study break, I don't read any email. I don't take any phone calls. It's my time to be alone with the Lord and I can't be distracted by any of those things. And so uh, my wife knows that she's only to call uh, about church business in an emergency. And two weeks ago on Sunday, I got just such a call. And Lisa said to me as she's crying, I had to call you because it looks like Ruth Goodbranson is dying. What? What? Ruth, my assistant? Ruth, who's this picture of health? Ruth, who is as sweet and as godly as they come? Ruth, who served at Calvary Church for 25 years? Who a year ago had made plans to retire this May so that she could spend more time with her family and other ministry opportunities? And Lisa's trying to explain this to me that that Ruth had a disease that seeped into her brain and it began to shut down all the organs in her body and that she was on life support and that everything was failing. And the doctors were hour by hour whether she was going to live or not. And that they had called all the family to come and say goodbye. And I'm in Florida and I'm getting this news and I'm trying to, I'm trying to wrap my mind around it. And I, and I just began to walk around and I just began to... I got lost. I had no idea where I was. I think I walked for an hour and I prayed and I thought and I wondered, how can this be? 
And the doctors didn't have much hope for her. She was in a coma and they did not expect her to come out of it. But her family was praying. The staff was praying. The choir was praying. Many people in the church were praying. I was praying. And miraculously, God heals her disease. Now, she has a ways to go. She's still in the hospital. You may have seen her name up here. But miraculously, she's come out of the coma. Her organs are working again. Her mind seems to be working again. They're working through all the things that she's been through. And I'm, I'm reading this psalm this week and I'm thinking, this is what God does. He heals our diseases. This is the mercy of God. And so on Tuesday, I drove to the hospital and said, Ruth, I got to read you your psalm. This is for you. This is what God does. And we stop and we say, think about it for a minute. Think about all the diseases you've ever had in your life. All of the sickness, all of the wounds, all of the difficulties, all of the suffering. God has healed you from those things. And we rejoice. I look at Ruth and I think, that's what this psalm is. It's a miracle that God is doing this. And you say, but not everybody gets healed. Which is why verse 4 follows verse 3. Who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. The pit here refers to death. And whereas the phrase forgives all your sins deals with the reality of sin and heals all your diseases deals with the consequences of sin. Who redeems your life from the pit deals with the penalty of sin. God tells us the penalty of sin is death. Physical death and spiritual death. Separation from God. But the reason that David is rejoicing is that God has overcome not only the consequences of sin, but the penalty of sin. He's overcome death itself that through Jesus... Whom God gave his only beloved, his only son to this world. So that whoever believes on him might not perish or die, but have everlasting life. That David is realizing that God has given us the opportunity to overcome death. Physical death and spiritual death. That those who believe in Jesus will never die. And that when we physically die... God raises us back to life and crowns us with love and compassion. Last week, you had the opportunity to be ministered to by our high school students. And it was a real blessing uh, as they were here uh, leading in worship and participating in the service. One thing they didn't tell you was that the candle was lit last week because three high school students in separate instances had come to faith in Jesus that week. The reason the candle is lit this week is because a fourth high school student last Sunday night came to faith. 
You look in this world and you look at all the difficult things and all the stuff that teenagers have to go through and all of the pressures and all of the evil and all of the temptations and all the things that are going on. And in the middle of it, David says, yeah, but God still redeems people from the pit. He still saves people. He comes into the middle of all these problems and all of this sin and all this stuff and he rescues people and gives them eternal life. Those four high school students can never fall prey to death. Never be eternally separated from God. And that's what God has given to you and to me if we're believers in Jesus. And David says, if we're going to go back and think about all the things God's done for us, let's not forget. He forgives all our sins. He heals all our diseases. He rescues us from death and gives us eternal life. David goes on, verse 5. Who satisfies your desires with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. There's lots of things in this world that people pursue, thinking it's going to satisfy their soul. Money, sex, power, popularity, athletics, fun, food, the arts. And we go after these things full bore and we tire ourselves out trying to get them. And as many of you have realized that when you get them, they don't satisfy. They just leave you craving more. They leave you feeling empty inside. But David says, I'm so thankful that God's not like that, that God does satisfy, that when you pursue God, that he fills your soul with Meaningful labor that you can do for him. Meaningful relationships and rest for your soul. One of the reasons I'm so glad for this study break is for five weeks, I'm reminded that God loves me not because I'm a pastor, but because I'm his child. It's not because I'm doing anything. It's not because I'm earning or working or any of those things that I simply get to pursue God. And you know what? He's infinitely satisfying. He fills your soul with joy. And David says, I'm so thankful. There are so many things to pursue that are empty and worthless. But those who pursue God find satisfaction and fulfillment. There's another verse in the psalm where it says, like a weaned child with its mother. So my soul is within me when I'm with the Lord. Just this picture of a contented, happy child, fully fed, resting in its mother's arms. And David says, that's how my soul feels when it's with God. And here he thanks God that he satisfies his soul. Verse six, and here David makes a bit of a transition. Verses two, or sorry, three through five are his personal thanksgiving. Verses six through 19 are more corporate blessings. David is saying, not only has God done some great things for me, he does great things for his people. And the first one he begins with is, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. A woman named Catherine Joyce wrote a book very recently called Child Catchers. It's a book which attacks evangelical Christians, forget this, for adopting Her claim in the book is is that 
evangelical Christians come alongside women who want to have abortions and encourage them to carry the baby to term and give it up for adoption. And she actually states in the book that this is trumping their reproductive rights and that it's better to have an abortion than to give a baby up for adoption. She actually makes the claim that evangelical Christians are engaged in adoption because they're trying to win some sort of cultural war. I hear things like that and I'm so thankful that's not how God views orphans. That's not how God views the oppressed. That God raises up Christians to participate in the ministry of adoption. That he uses this to bless those who are weak. I'm so thankful that God is not like this world chasing after the rich and powerful, trying to bless them. That instead God's eye is trained on the weak. God's eye is trained on those who are hurting. That he looks out for those who have been forgotten by this world. This week, Isaac Troop, a very special little boy, celebrated his first birthday. He's got lots of special challenges. He's got lots of special needs. I'm so thankful that God is watching out for him. I'm thankful that we serve a God whose eye is trained on Isaac. That if the world forgets him, that if the world ignores him, that if the world holds him back, that God will always be with him. That God will never leave him. That he will always be close to him. And David is saying, aren't you thankful for a God who's like that? Who's especially concerned with the oppressed and the downtrodden. Verses 7 through 11. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. David is thankful that God's default state is love not anger. God's default state, meaning his normal mode of operations, is love, not anger. Yes, God gets angry with sin, just like any mother worth her salt gets angry when her child is mistreated or when her children refuse to obey her instructions, which are meant for their good. So too, God gets angry with sin. But the amazing thing about God is that his fundamental orientation is not anger. It's not punishment. It's not wanting to accuse. Look at the nation of Israel. I was reading Jeremiah on my study break. And in Jeremiah, God is coming after Israel full guns. Because they are ridiculously bad. Anything you can think of, they've done wrong. They're following false gods. They're engaged in prostitution. They're committing adultery. They're lying. They're cheating. They're putting their hope in everything but God. They're doing everything wrong. They're not looking out for the poor and the oppressed. They're not exercising hospitality. And God in the book of Jeremiah is writing page after page saying, wake up, Israel. Wake up. I'm going to bring destruction on you like you've never seen before. You are going to be sorry for doing this. And line after line, he accuses them of what a horrendous sins they've been engaged in. And then in the middle of it he says but I'm going to bring you back to your land and I'm going to bless you and I'm going to be good to you 
And you read that and you think it's almost like God really, really wants to get angry and stay angry, but he just can't. He so desperately wants to be done with Israel, but he can't. Because his default state is not anger, it's love. And his heart is so full of affection. His heart is so full of love that he's desperate for any way to be able to bless them. Even this ridiculous group of people in Jeremiah who are doing all these things, God says, but I still love them. And David says, I'm thankful that's how God feels about you and me. Yes, he has to punish us when we sin. But when we wake up in the morning, we don't wake up thinking, how can I keep God from being angry with me today? His default state is love. That he's always looking for ways to bless us. That he never gives us the full punishment that our sins deserve. And David says, I'm grateful. I'm grateful that God chooses to deal with me in love. Not in anger. We already looked at verse 12, verses 13 and 14. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed, he remembers that we are dust. Picture in your mind a mom and dad sitting in the stands at their fifth grade daughter's softball game. Bases are loaded, two outs, daughter's up to bat. Mom and dad are nervous. Dad leans over and whispers to mom, if she remembers everything we practiced, she'll be just fine. And in his mind, he's trying to communicate telepathically to his daughter while she's at bat. And he's saying over and over again, don't be afraid. Tight grip on the bat. Bend your knees. Get your elbows out. Relax. Look for a good pitch. Swing hard. The daughter, of course, does none of the things <clears throat> that they practice. Instead, she's completely intimidated and stands there. Three called strikes go by and she's out. Dad, of course, is livid. All those hours of practice, all those things I said. And mom just puts her hand on dad's knee and whispers, remember, dear, she's just a fifth grade girl. She's not a professional softball player. She's doing just fine. That's how God looks at us. He remembers we're formed from dust. He's understanding of our weaknesses and our frailties. When Moses is scared to go talk to Pharaoh, God doesn't get mad at him. When the man's having trouble believing that Jesus can do anything and says, help my unbelief, Jesus doesn't scold him. He knows he's human. It's hard to believe. When we get afraid, when we're intimidated, when we allow ourselves to get overwhelmed, when we allow ourselves to get overcommitted, God's understanding. He knows we're just human. Now look, I'm not trying to excuse sin. God, God does deal with sin. But when he looks at us, he sees us as being human. He knows that we're formed from dust and he's compassionate and understanding. Like a mother who looks at a child and says, she's doing pretty well. She's making good progress. When God looks at us, he looks at us and understands they're human. They've got struggles. They've got difficulty. They're doing pretty well. 
And David's thankful. Verses 15 through 19, finally. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it is gone. And its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him. And his righteousness with their children's children. With those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven. And his kingdom rules over all. David is grateful that God has overcome his finiteness. That as humans, there are limits on what we can accomplish because there are limits on the span of our life. That we're like a flower, we're here for a season and in bloom, life is beautiful, but it is quickly gone and forgotten. And David knows that apart from God, you can go to work every day. Labor hard for the company you work for. Come to the day of your retirement and have all that work nullified by your replacement and simply gone. David knows that apart from God, you can spend all sorts of time trying to instill good values in children only to watch them grow up, go off into the world and drink deeply from the wisdom of the world and have all those values simply gone. David knows that apart from God, you can engage in all sorts of labor and leisure activities and get to the end of your time and find that it's all simply been wasted time. But in God's mercy, his infinite nature overcomes our finite limitations. That God bestows upon us eternal life. That he not only gives us life, he gives us meaningful labor that matters for eternity. That he allows us to raise our children in the fear of the Lord so that even when we're gone, God can continue to use the things that we've taught them in the Lord to bring them back to himself. That it's not in vain all that time you put in. That God can give us activities that are relaxing and that are fun, but that still have value and meaning. That we get to the end of our lives and God has bestowed upon us a kingdom that cannot end. See, David is looking around at all the other kings around him. And he's realizing no one's ever going to remember their names. They're king. King of a country, king of a people, and like a flower, they'll be here for a moment and then gone. And David looks at himself and says, the only difference between me and them is that God has given me an eternal kingdom to labor in. And he stops to say thank you to God. Have you ever wanted to do that? Have you ever thought to yourself, you know what, if all there was to this life was going to work to collect a paycheck, if all there was to this life was trying to have fun, trying to, make, to amuse ourselves, I'm so grateful that God gives us meaningful things to do, meaningful relationships, meaningful service, meaningful ministry, meaningful opportunities so that when death comes and resurrection comes, our labor in the Lord is not in vain. And David says, thanks be to God that he's given us something great to do. When you go through this psalm, you realize it is easy to forget the benefits. David says he forgives all our sins. 
He heals all our diseases. He gives us eternal life. He satisfies our soul. We're filled with joy and with peace. He loves and cares for the oppressed and the downtrodden. He doesn't treat us in anger, but in love. He realizes that we're weak and that we're frail. And he overcomes our finite nature with his eternal, infinite kingdom that he gives to us. And so on this day that we stop and pause, it's not that we don't have requests. It's not that we don't have troubles. It's that we stop to say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for all that you've done for us. And so we close with David's closing. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Let's pray together. Lord, you have been good to us. Lord, you have forgiven all our sins. God, we have made some mess of things. But you have patiently and kindly cleaned us up and thrown them away. And God, we thank you for that. God, I thank you for what you're doing in Ruth's life to heal her. Lord, would you keep doing that? God, you're so kind and merciful. Lord, I thank you that you redeem our life from death. I thank you that our brother Todd doesn't have to worry about where his father is because you are a gracious and merciful God who give eternal life. Lord, I thank you for Isaac Troop. Thank you for all those that you care for so carefully. Lord, thanks for your love for the orphan. God, I thank you that you're not angry with us. Lord, where would we be if you treated us the way our sins deserved? Lord, thank you for being merciful and kind. Thank you, Lord, for understanding our weaknesses and our frailty. Lord, I'm glad you don't get mad when we're nervous about preaching again after not doing it for a while. Lord, I'm glad you don't get frustrated with us when we become afraid, when we get overwhelmed by life. Thank you for being so kind and compassionate and understanding. And Lord, thank you for blessing us with lives of eternal value, that you've given us labor that matters and a kingdom that we can serve that will never end. God, we praise your name. And I pray, Lord, that each person here would walk out of this room today singing praises to your name, for you are good and kind and loving. We bless you, Lord. Amen.